How do trucking companies transition to electric fleets? What's keeping chief supply chain officers up at night? And how will smart lockers be part of workers returning to the office? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers the most advanced transportation management systems for world-leading brands, helping to maximize operational fleet efficiencies, improve driver retention, optimize resources, and turn private fleets into profit engines. If you're ready to make savings of up to 30% and see ROI within 12 months, Aptian can help. For more information, visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we've all heard that electric vehicles are coming, both for commercial fleets and the cars that we drive, and that'll all take place sometime in the future. For trucking companies, converting to electric vehicles will be somewhat of a challenge. To find out what it's going to take, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thank you, Dave. Yes, our guest today is Darren Epps. He's Senior Director of Advanced Vehicle Technology for Rider. Darren's here to talk to us about electric vehicle technology and really the steps companies should consider when thinking about transitioning to an electric fleet. Welcome, Darren. Thanks for having me, Victoria. There's a lot of talk, interest, and sort of R&D when it comes to electric vehicles for logistics fleets, but I wanted to ask, you know, are companies making the switch? You know, can you share with us a little bit about what the market is like for this technology? Yeah, certainly we have uh, customers that are, are looking to make the switch. We are in the early days of this technology. I say right now, almost all of the OEMs have an EV offering that they plan to deliver in the next, you know, one to three years. Uh, minimal amounts uh, on the roads right now, uh, not really meaningful quantities at this time. Uh, I, I can say Ryder is testing all electric yard tractors made by Orange EV and Lone Star at one of our SES customer operations. We've also done demos on some all electric class six and class eight trucks. So we're uh, getting, getting our uh, feet wet and uh, building that muscle uh, for when the the trucks will arrive. Uh, we also have two uh, workhorse electric vehicles available for short-term rentals through our mobile asset sharing application, which is called Coop. And so those are a uh, little smaller class three vehicles. So uh, we're learning a lot in this space, which I, I think we're all trying to do. The really exciting part for me is to see the progression of the technology. So it wasn't that long ago, a EV battery was $1,000 per kilowatt hour you know, an EV got 83 miles of range on a passenger car uh, and it took a long time to charge it. So we can continue to see the evolution in batteries, the drivetrain, charging speeds, and that will support a, a more reliable experience going forward. So the advancement in the technology is, is still there. I mean, think about how fast, relatively fast, we moved from all horse and buggy to cars or from home phones to cell phones. You know, it's not an overnight sensation, but when you reflect back, 
it was a pretty quick advancement uh, relative to, to other big advancements. So I think you'll see the same thing with this technology. Yeah, it certainly seems to be to be coming along here. What are some first steps companies should take when transitioning or sort of considering transitioning to electrical ve electric vehicle technology? Um, it's not just uh, flicking a, a switch, I imagine. You know, there's a lot you need to plan for. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, of course. There's really two main tenets that you really need to look at uh, when transitioning to EVs. One is really the route. Um, if you're interested in early adoption, that's where I would start. Uh, if you have a route with the uh, appropriate amount of range, uh, the payload, you know, the climate has a, an impact. You know, a, a very cold day when you're running the heater can have a, a big impact on the range. And then city versus highway driving, faster speeds tend to drain the battery faster. So it's really taking a look at all your routes and seeing which one makes sense uh, compared to the uh, truck you're looking to purchase. Um, then I would start with charging. So everyone gets very, very excited about the trucks. The trucks are the focus, uh, but the charging consideration, the fact that you charge at your facility is often overlooked. So I really can't stress the importance of evaluating the charging capacity at your site uh, and understanding the, the cost the timing and the charging needs uh, because it can be a lengthy process and it's of course not something many people have ever done before right right of course um, what about cost considerations you know what kind of investment should firms be prepared to make uh, really from from a general um, perspective if you can talk about that a bit yeah so there is a premium for new technology uh, no question that that's that, that's true for this technology um, we are starting to see, though, a lot more incentives and grant opportunities for both the vehicle and the infrastructure. Um, we're seeing, uh, of course, there's a lot of infrastructure discussion happening at the federal level, but there's also dollars at state and local levels. And then uh, electric utilities have really gotten into the game with offering uh, EV charging rebates or um, you know, build, out the, build out the infrastructure for you. Uh, so they're coming out with programs as well. So, yeah, that's that's one of the main things we do here is we monitor grants for all of our customers who are interested in this space as as part of the turnkey solution. So when you know transitioning to this technology, how do you how do companies know if it's the right decision for them? We've talked about a few different things here, but are there any kind of best practices or advice that you give to to sort of help them figure that out? Yeah, I would I would factor in sort of encapsulate what I, I've mentioned the last couple of questions is um, look at your routes, look at the timing of when you want to implement this technology, uh, understand the the premium that's that's going to be out there, the grants and incentives landscape, um, and you know if, if you want to be on the front end of a of a potential transformation in transportation, um, you know there's there's a risk involved with that, um, but we still have. A lot of interest from our large shippers. They have sustainability goals they're trying to achieve. I don't think the supply has caught up to the demand yet. So um, going back to the charging piece, that's that's where we're starting. Okay, what's going to be required on the infrastructure space? You know, what grants do you qualify for? Uh, can you work with your uh, local utility? So really, we work out uh, with our customers sort of a, a mapping out uh, of how they can reach their sustainability goals and you know, not lose sleep at night wondering if, if different routes are gonna work. 
Does that include kind of taking a look at, you know, the time frame for making the switch, you know, what they should realistically, you know, um, plan for in terms of, you know, making a, a full transition if that's what their goal is? Absolutely. And, and, and that's a great question on, on the time. Uh, I think it's a lot of longer of a process than maybe most customers realize. I mean, depending on the charging you need and the availability of the truck, I mean, we're talking year, year and a half, two years. Uh, that's why we like to have the infrastructure conversations as early as possible. Uh, utility upgrades at a facility can take time. Um, charger procurement can take time. Then there's driver training. Uh, if there's a grant or incentive involved, you know, that takes time to award the winners and work through contracting. So that's that's why we, we're just constantly monitoring uh, this space and working with the different technology providers, the OEMs, as I mentioned, the charging companies, to really uh, map out a plan for a customer. Uh, but, uh, you know, the advice for customers is, you know, patience is, is good in this field. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what about success metrics? And I know it's really new. You're still working through all this, but have you, you know, sort of thought that far out, like how you'll kind of help customers realize that they're, you know, they've made the right decision and they're making progress toward their sustainability goals? Yeah. So I think success is sort of when you find that sweet spot or the right route, the right payload, uh, the appropriate amount of charging, um, or again, you're not up up at night wondering if it's going to charge in time. I think once you figure out that sweet spot, I, that's success. Uh, and that's, that's really what we're able to do is sort of develop these strategies to deploy electric vehicles to you know improve the environment, but also drive value for our customers. So um, success is, is making this work. Um, and there's a lot of factors that go into that, but it, you know, talking to the early, early, early adopters, that it's, it's a good feeling when, when you were able to get it right. Anything else about this topic you'd like to mention? Um, you know, we've talked about a lot here, but any any other any things, thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, sure. I, I think um, right now, I think in the next probably one to two years, you're going to see a lot of movement in this space. I think the technology is constantly going to evolve. I think there's going to be some really interesting charging solutions that come along. There's a, a standard being worked on now that we're involved with. Um, looking at higher higher power charging when I mean, we're talking about a megawatt and beyond. So uh, that's really exciting uh, for the space because that's really one of the holdups as far as charging on route is, you know, the charging takes a little bit too long now. And so it really behooves you to, to do it at the facility. But there's some really cool technologies that are going to be able to charge vehicles really fast here in the next four or five years. Um, really excited to watch that progress. Yeah, it certainly is um, an interesting thing to be watching for sure. Um, Darren, thanks so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Victoria. We've been talking with Darren Epps, Senior Director of Advanced Vehicle Technology for Rider. And back to you, Dave. Thank you, Darren and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, you reported this week about what the post-pandemic office might look like and how it might be very different. Can you tell us more? Absolutely, Dave. Um, we've been covering some of the uh, trends that have become very clear through the pandemic. And, um, you know, a lot of those things, especially uh, the enormous jump in e-commerce volumes and ordering, 
um, is not going to turn on the dime and, and is not going to come to a screeching halt, uh, most experts in the field say. So um, it, looking at that as context, uh, you know, we're in a time when some companies are inviting workers back to their offices now under slowly easing pandemic conditions and rising vaccination rates so they can all do it safely. Uh, no one knows exactly what it'll look like because many people got used to working from home during COVID lockdowns. Uh, and in many cases that worked well for businesses too. Uh, some of them didn't have to rent as much space, for example, with fewer workers present at their desks. So it's unclear uh, whether the American workplace will just snap back to the old normal or whether we'll have some kind of a hybrid version. Uh, but we did learn some details about a possible scenario this week, uh, and that was through a survey that was done by Pitney Bowes, the shipping technology firm. It was a survey of 2,200 U.S. workers, and a lot of them, it turns out, plan in the future to sort of blend their work and home lives. So specifically, the survey uh, was looking at a growing demand of popularity for what they call smart lockers. And those, uh, or listeners may have seen those, for example, in Whole Foods markets, um, Amazon was delivering uh, some parcels uh, so when people could you know, pick up their groceries, they could also scan their uh, smartphone um, with a QR code and it would automatically unlock uh, a little metal box where their package was. Uh, so the survey indicated that those uh, might start popping up in a lot more places, uh, both in neighborhoods or buildings and also at office spaces. Um, and again, that would be significant because there's just so much more volume now of those parcels uh, that it could make a big impact on uh, the, the patterns that people follow when they uh, pick up those deliveries. Yeah, it certainly could. Did the survey have any details about exactly which consumers are asking for this service? Good question. Um, it, it did. It found that the greatest support for this concept uh, came from three particular demographics, uh, and that's millennials urban dwellers, and office workers. So those groups had various reasons uh, for this new preference, but some general themes stood out. Uh, one is familiarity. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, a growing number of people have seen these lockers around, and among millennials, uh, one in three said that they either currently use or have used one before. Another one is environmental impact, because uh, about three quarters of people said that they felt good about using smart lockers because it cuts down the carbon footprint. Um, that's by reducing the emissions of multiple carrier journeys to a whole lot of different homes, uh, if they can just drop all those packages in one place. Uh, a third reason is security. Um, more than half of the respondents said they were nervous their packages might get stolen from their doorstep, for instance, if they were off at the uh, office for the day. And a fourth reason was privacy, actually. Um, just about half said they'd really wouldn't like other people to see which packages they order. So kind of an interesting approach. I, uh, but Pitney Bros said that the lockers could see growing use for more day-to-day -day applications also. Um, for instance, the exchange of business items and equipment. Um, and, and that would really be relevant, again, in the scenario where people were sort of merging the home and office space. Uh, so if they had to move some of those business equipment items uh, back and forth between two, two different places. Yeah, very interesting. It's definitely uh, will be more convenient for a lot of people and another change from what we had before the pandemic. Thanks, Ben. You got it. And Victoria, you reported on the major concerns that chief supply chain officers are focusing on in the near term. What did you find out? 
That's right, Dave. Yeah, and this is uh, continuing um, on the theme that, that Ben was just talking about. So the focus on managing disruption and creating more resilient supply chains that we've seen over the past year is really continuing as the uh, second half of 2021 gets underway. Um, a Gartner report released this week showed that supply chain leaders, specifically chief supply chain officers or CSCOs, should really be prepared to stay the course and navigate ongoing disruptions to ensure business continuity as the economic recovery from the pandemic continues. Gartner surveyed uh, close to 200 CEOs and senior business executives about what they're asking of their CSCOs in the wake of the pandemic. Um, and the top two concerns revolve around cost and resilience. 17% of the business leaders ranked cost optimization as the number one issue that their CSCOs should focus on in the near term, and it was followed by supply chain resilience. Victoria, did the research gauge optimism among CEOs? What's the business outlook look like? Yeah, well, 60% of them uh, of those surveyed said that they expect an economic boom by the end of 2022. So that's certainly optimistic. And they also pointed to digital transformation and business restructuring as important issues to focus on as, com as companies prepare for that expansion. And just to give you a couple of examples, um, according to the survey, most of the respondents say they want to focus on technology, another thing we've heard a lot about in the last year or so. And they plan to increase their year-on-year uh, -year investments in digital capabilities. That was 80%, so they plan to do that. And the trend appears to be shifting from a general undefined ambition for you know this digital business transformation we keep hearing about to more targeted initiatives. And popular areas for that include e-commerce or e-business, customer interactions, data analytics, and the customer experience. So those are the things um, uh, companies are really gonna focus their technology on. Uh, another example, more than two thirds of the, um, the survey respondents said they'll, they plan to use um, the pandemic as an opportunity to, or pandemic recovery as an opportunity to focus on redesigning their businesses. Uh, it was close to 80% of the CEOs said they expect to see really significant and enduring behavioral changes in society, in their organization, and in individuals that are a direct result of what we've all experienced over the last year or so. And this means that supply chain leaders should prepare for their, not only their business, but all the business partners they work with, their competitors, to undergo um, sort of organizational, organizational sort of behavioral shifts. Uh, much of this will revolve around social responsibility and sustainability. Uh, these are issues we've discussed here on the podcast in the past. So it was interesting and just provides more evidence that, you know, the trends we've seen over this past year really look like they'll be here with us for quite a while. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And we encourage our listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Glad to do it. You're welcome. And again, our thanks to Darren Epps of Ryder for being our guest today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Forged from decades of industry experience, Aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources, automate route planning, and drive savings of up to 30%. 
your fleet operation holds the key to enhanced profit. Aptian routing and scheduling can help you find it. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will talk about reshoring. It may not happen as soon as you think, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.